0: Turn to James one, James chapter one. We're going to be looking at verses nineteen through twenty-seven today. Large chunk, James one. And I've got to replace the batteries to this, so I have my phone up here. I don't want you to think I'm expecting a call or something. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not playing Candy Crush or anything. I'm, I'm just. I, I, y'all want to get out here in time, and I want to get you out of here in time. And so uh, I've got my phone up here to keep track of the time. So. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James says this in verse 19, "...this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls." If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Last week we looked at verses 12 through 18, and and really 13 through 18 rather, and we talked about the the desire. the. because of our sinfulness, there's a tendency for us to pass the responsibility for our sin, to not hold ourselves responsible for our own sin. And in, in our sinfulness, we attempt to pass the buck even to the point where we will pass blame, we will pass responsibility for our sinfulness onto God. It was a misunderstanding of His sovereignty, it was a misunderstanding of His character, And what James was saying, he was reminding them that the character of God does not allow him to draw us or to tempt us into sin. And James appealed to the character of God, that he was perfect, that he's unchanging, that every good and perfect gift is from above, that God only gives good gifts. And in verse 18, he summed up his argument by saying this, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creation, among his creatures rather. And what James does there, that is a big verse, that is a transition in a sense connecting what we see today and and we kind of ran out of time last week and so I want to spend just a few minutes here. What James is saying in verse 18 leading into 19 is that of God's own will, he brought us forth, he gave us new birth. He gave us salvation. He did that of his own will. And he did that, that we would become, that believers would become like him. He did that, that we would take on his character. That we would again go back to Genesis 1 and be his representatives. You see all the way back in Genesis 1, God created us and he tells us in verses 26 and 27 to go forth and be his representatives. Obviously, with sin that was marred, sin that was affected, we, bear, we, we do bear his image, but sin has, has made that difficult, and the purpose of regeneration is to bring le- life where there was death. Because of sin, the wages of sin is death. God in his grace, God in his mercy, really has brought a fourth death. It's a picture of wrath, but it's also a picture of grace. I mean, imagine if you live forever in this sinful, wretched body waging war on sin. It got in His grace that says that won't be the case. And the purpose of regeneration was to give birth into life. It was to bring forth a new creation, to, to undo the effects of sin and death and drive us back to that original intent. One day believers will will die we will everyone will die believers will go to heaven we will receive a glorified body it will be perfect it will be sinless there'll be no more of this sin there'll be no more fighting there'll be no more sadness sickness god in his grace is driving us is leading us there through his word we are taking on his character so that we would represent him romans 8 talks about he predestined us that we would be conformed to his image it's his character And what James does in verse 18 is he introduces new birth as a way to show you that God does not lead his people into sin. In fact, what James shows is quite the opposite. He leads his people away from sin. He's leading us away from sin. He's leading us to a new creation, not back to that old, nasty, sinful ways. And in verse 18, James reminds them not only who they are and how they got there, but he reminds them how it's all come about through the word of truth, he says. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. Through the word of God, God quickens our old dead self, Ephesians 2, 1, and and brings forth life through the hearing of his word. He gives life where there was death. It's the power of his word. God awakens us to our sinfulness. He awakens us to the penalty. He awakens us to his truth through his word. And in response to that, in belief, he gives life. Sin has brought death. Again, the wages of sin is death. But James is reminding his readers that God, through the word, has brought believers into life where there once was death. Death no longer is our master. Death has lost its sting. Death has no victory for the believer in Jesus Christ alone. If you're here and not believing totally in Jesus Christ for your salvation, the sting of death is still there. There's, the victory of death is still there. You will die and spend eternity separated from a holy God. For those who have believed upon Jesus Christ, death is gain, Paul says in Philippians 1. But the purpose, James is saying, the purpose of salvation, the purpose of new life in Christ is not only that our sins would be forgiven, but that we would be a kind of first fruits. That we would be a picture of what was yet to come. That was the picture. James's readers would have understood completely what he meant, coming from a Jewish culture, or what that first fruits were. When they had a harvest, they would bring the first fruits, or the first part of that harvest, and they would dedicate it to the Lord. It was an act of faith. It was them believing, you know what, God, this is the best of the best. I'm giving it to you and I'm believing you that there's more to come. That was the picture of the first fruits. These believers that James is writing to are some of the first believers of the gospel. This is very early on. He's saying you're you're a first fruits. There's more to come. The the salvation that I'm offering you, when you go to heaven, you're going to fully realize everything that I've offered you. Believers were to be indicators of what God was doing. They were to picture the grace of God. Their words, their actions were to proclaim the glories of God. That's what James is saying here. But the transformation took place because of the Word. This right here, the Word. And that is James' point in his connection to what we see today. He builds on that in verses 19 through 27. James is going to tell us the God who made redemption possible is a gracious God. He does not lead us into sin. He does not lead us to fall. In fact, he leads us into life. That's why in your horizon, the memory verse for this week is John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. There is life as it was meant to be experienced through obeying this word, through the word. It's through the Word. And James is saying God did not lead us into temptation in the sense to fall. He has led us into life. It's the opposite. He's leading us to be accurate representatives that our character would reflect that of our Heavenly Father. It's a character. And the question that James immediately goes into that I want to address today, that I want to challenge all of us with today, is this. How will you, how have you, how have I, how will I respond to God's word? What is your attitude to God's word? How have you responded? Matter of fact, how have you even showed up this morning? What, what expectations did you come here with this morning? Do you, do you show up here on Sundays? Do you open up your word throughout the week expecting God to reveal himself? Or is it just something that's perfunctory and you're going through the motions? Do you open up the Word of God anticipating with all your heart that you're going to conform your life to that Word? Or is it kind of a let me wait and see what it says and I'll decide whether I want to conform my life to the Word or not, depending on what it says? What what is your attitude towards the Word of God? That's That's what James is asking all of us this morning. What is your attitude towards the Word? When, when, we, when we say amen today, do you close the book and go on about your life as if th- pretty much as if today never happened? Or do you chew on what you heard? Do you meditate on what you heard? Do you think about what you heard? That's what James is asking. And it all goes back to the Word of God. How will we, as a people, how will you individually respond? Do you have a hunger for God's Word? Do you even care? That's what James is asking. That's what I'm asking. How will we respond to the Word of God? And James gives us a couple of hints here of the only appropriate responses to the Word of God. And he says, firstly, that we must receive the Word humbly. Humbly. He says that specifically in verse 21. Therefore, putting all aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word and plan which is able to save your souls. Having been saved, having been brought to life through the word, James is saying continue to respond to the word rightly. Continue to have the right attitude regarding the word and its humility. James makes it very clear. They know, he says, verse 19, this you know, they knew the power of the word. They knew that it had power to bring life where there was death. And James is saying, continue to pursue the Word. And James is saying, the the power and the truth and all that the Word provides, it's not just for salvation, it's it's for everyday life. It's not that we just get saved by the Word of God and then we go about living in the flesh. Paul dealt with that, I think, in Galatians. You who, having begun by the Spirit, do you now continue by the flesh? No, we live and breathe on the Word. Matthew 4, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What James is saying is, we have to allow the Word of God to continue to function in our daily lives. Bringing truth to your daily life. What James is saying is, is that there was a break for them between a knowledge of the Word and the practical outworking of the Word. What, what they knew about the word, but yet what they practiced there was a gap that, that's a tendency in our lives as well. That's why James is going on and say to him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. There should be no gap. Our theology, what we believe about God, what we know about God ought to play out in our everyday lives. what, what James says here in verse 19 is a truth. That the Jews would have been very familiar with. It was very common in their teaching. It's all throughout the Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. You see it all throughout the Proverbs, that same truth. The Jews and the, their, their rabbis had, had the following saying, saying Silence is offense for wisdom. That was one of their familiar sayings. Silence is offense. for wisdom. For wisdom. Listen to this one. Even a fool, as long as he keeps silent, is regarded as wise. That was a very uh, a proverbial Jewish rabbinical saying. Even a fool, as long as he keeps silent, is regarded as wise. That, some of y'all are going to use that this week. Some of y'all are going to have interactions with people. It may be with me. Say, even a fool, when he's silent, is wise. What James, and, and many people, hear me, this is where context is king. Many people come to James 19 and they, they see quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and they think about interpersonal relationships, that that's dealing with interpersonal relationships. What James is doing is he's applying this proverb to the Word of God. He's showing the disciple, the follower of Jesus Christ, how they are to respond to the Word of God. He is applying this to everyday life. He is connecting it with their response to the Word. Every single verse from 18 to 26, except one, mentions the Word of God. The context here is the Word. What he's saying is the duty of the believer of every single person is to respond to the Word of God rightly. And it is a continuous duty. In the Greek, it is in the present tense. He's saying continue responding to the Word of God Rightly, every single day, it never ends. Respond to the word. James is saying, respond to the verses that you like. Respond to the words you don't like. Respond to the verses that are easy. Respond to the verses hard. How? With obedience. With obedience. All of them. Continuous. And and, and he, and he, and he, he gives us very specifics here in verse 19. A on your handout, we must be quick. How do we respond to the word humbly? We must respond humbly by being quick to listen to the word. To listen to the word. Literally that word means eager to hear or attentive. It's someone who comes to the word eager to hear what God says. Not what we say. Eager to hear what God says. Think about it. When, when we sit down to pray, when we sit down to read the word, are you quick to talk or are you quick to Listen. Are you quick to tell the Word what it says, or are you quick to allow the Spirit to tell you what the Word of God says? How do you approach the Word? He says you need to be quick to listen. It's someone who comes with an attitude ready to apply, ready and eager to apply whatever it is they hear. Whatever they hear. These Jewish believers that James is writing to would have been dependent upon public reading of Scripture. They would not have had... Eight copies of the Bible laying around the house. They depended upon individuals to read the Word publicly. And he's saying, you come eager to hear, quick to listen. What James is teaching us practically is the first duty of discipleship is to put yourself under the teaching of the Word of God. Under the teaching of the Word of God. To be taught by the Word of God. Eager to listen. Eager to listen. Is that how you've come this morning? Eager to listen? eager to hear what God may reveal about Himself or put His finger on something in my life or your life that needs to be changed, eager to listen. The second symbol of of picture of humility is that we need to be slow to speak to the Word of God. Literally what James is saying there is that believers must restrain themselves from being too hasty in their reaction to the Word of God. What he's saying is chew on it. Chew on it a little bit. Contemplate what you hear. Think about it. Evaluate what you've heard before responding. What, What James is guarding against here is immature reactions to the word that lack real understanding. It's like in Luke 14 where he talks about counting the cost. No one builds a tower without counting cost. Think it through. Let the word of God permeate your heart. Think on it. Chew on it. Think about what you hear. Don't, don't just be real quick, and, and re, we see people regularly, they, they just make these rash reactions to the Word that aren't grounded in truth, that aren't grounded in conviction. They just emotionally respond, and they're all over the place. Think about what you hear. Chew on it. But not only that, a humble response to God's Word involves being slow to become angry in response to the Word. Let me ask you this. You think, well, that's kind of strange, but let me ask you this. When you, when you come across passages in the Word of God that you don't like, how do you respond? When you come across passages in the Word of God that are hard, how do you respond? When you come across passages in the Word that are convicting, when the Word of God, in, like in Isaiah 64, says that all my righteous deeds are, are filthiness, that I'm a sinner, that there's nothing good in me, Last week when we saw that James reminds us that we're responsible for our sin, how, does your, how do you respond? Do you get angry? Do you get defensive? Do you brush it off? When you hear the Word of God, is your mind, are you thinking about somebody else that, that you hope is listening to what I'm saying, or are you listening for you? I've been there where you're listening to something, you're like, man, I hope that person's listening to that. You know what the Holy Spirit is saying? I hope you're listening to that, Chris. How do you respond? Do you get angry? Do you question God's character? See, we do how about this? Do do you do you look for ways to argue with people over the word? That that's part of what James is getting to here, not to have disputes publicly or or or, or rashly over the word. Not to wrangle over words, not to haggle over words. This was convicting to me cuz I I I For good or bad, right or wrong, I will will be quick to come to a defense to God's Word. And and I have found myself in arguments with people that just weren't good, weren't fruitful. And I have to be wise about that. That some people aren't really interested, they just want to argue. That they don't really care. And I have to be be careful with that. I have to be careful not to find myself arguing even believers, well-intentioned believers. Maybe we just don't agree on a passage. Okay? But James is saying, you come humbly to the Word. And humility pervades all of that. When I remember that I don't have a corner on the market of understanding this Word, I'm simply a beggar trying to understand this as greatly as I can by the power of the Spirit. I come humbly. Why? Why? Why come humbly? Why do all this? Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. you see how it's all about God's character? It's all about your character reflecting God's character. When the world looks at how we respond to God's word, the world looks at our attitude to God's word, the word looks to how we walk away from God's word, does it accurately reflect the greatness of our God? Our response to God's word, does it accurately reflect? We have to ask ourselves, is, and, and again, think about the context. James is, again, he's building on the fact that the problem is not with the word of God. The problem is with my heart. The problem is me. we'll see next week, Lord willing, in chapter two, favoritism. Here's the, here's the bottom line. I'm gonna give you the, the 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 a heads up. The problem with favoritism is we think it's because if I'm serving, you know, this person over here, I'm gonna serve them. But you know ultimately why I'm favoring them? Because of me. You know why, you know why we have favorites? Ultimately, it's for ourselves. Ultimately, I'm serving myself. And the reason James is going to say favoritism is wrong, why? Is because it doesn't reflect the character of God. God doesn't play favorites. When we play favorites, we're not accurately reflecting the character of God. That's why it's an issue. It's, it's all about the character of God. When we come to God's Word and we, we walk away from it unmoved, when we question it, when we doubt it, when we don't even come expecting, you know what we're saying about the character of God? That you're not good. That I don't trust you. That I don't think what you say in your word is good. That I don't think it's loving. You see how the character of God is at stake here? You see how James is saying every good and perfect gift is from above? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed, used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's God-given. 2 Peter 1.20, no prophecy of scripture came about by man's own interpretation, but men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Men didn't write this. God wrote this through men. This is the word of God. It's good. And no matter how, no matter how it cuts, no matter how it wounds me, it's good. It's like a surgeon. I have two scars on my arm that bear the markings of a surgery. That surgery was good. Painful at the moment, but ultimately it was good. And we lack humility, and our pride gets in the way, and we begin to fight God's Word, and we begin to question it. And what we're doing is we're destroying the God's t- integrity in the midst of a, watch- a watching world. And James says in verse 21, Look, therefore, putting aside all filthiness, before the Word can effectively be welcomed in our lives, sin has to be dealt with. Has to be dealt with. If you're going to come humbly, you you better deal with your sin. Acknowledge it and deal with it as best as you can. Jesus deals with that in Matthew 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. The, The word here, putting aside is literally somebody who is stripping off their garments. It's like taking off a dirty garment. That's the picture here. some Some of you do not allow people to enter into their house without shoes. I mean, with shoes on. Why? Because it's a clean issue. That's the picture, literally. If your kids come to the front door and they are utterly filthy, you're like, hey, you better go to the garage door, you better take your clothes off at the garage door and go get in the bathroom. That's the picture here. Before we come to God, before we come to the Word, before we expect God to speak, hey, you better take off the dirty garments. You better repent as best as you can, as much as you know, before you come to God. That's humility. Humility, not thinking that I can just come to God any way I want, with any attitude I want, and expect Him to cater to me. Humility. All of this is humility. And and James is saying... Believers ought to make a definite break from things that are not becoming of the Lord and His character. Make a definite break from. He says that in Colossians 3. He says that in Ephesians 5. He says all. James says, putting aside what filthiness? Not some. Not most. All filthiness. He's saying turn from sin. Separate yourself from sin. Anything that is inconsistent with God's character, believer... Run from it, run from it, repent, turn away one of the one of the tragedies, one of the seats of sin is that it hardens us and it deafens us to responding and hearing God's word. We become deaf, we become hardened to it, and we don't respond. we become immune, we become it's kind of like these calluses uh, I, I in my high school days, I played a, a lot of golf, I have calluses, I have Skin that is hardened on my hands from, from gripping the club. Sin does that to you and I. It hardens us. It sears our conscience. And he's saying, get rid of sin. Turn from sin. Lay it aside. Why? So that the word of God can work in your life. So it can take root in your life. And interesting, the term that he says there, implanted, which is able to save your souls. It's interesting. James uses farming language here. I wish Zerny was here. He, could, he would illustrate this better. If you've ever been to Zerny's house, he, well, he doesn't anymore. He's not able to do it as much anymore. But he had, a wonderful gar- he had wonderful gardens. What James is saying here is till the soil of your heart. Till the soil of your life. Sin hardens it. Sin makes it unreceptive. He's saying till it. Repent, till it, weed it. So that the word of God can take root and grow. So, so you'll feed off of it. So we we'll nourish it. And as God's word grows in us, he's saying it will move to action. As the word of God gets in us and, and, and grows in us and all that, it will lead to action. It will lead to fruit bearing. We don't, we don't have time because it's uh, 1031 already. But read Psalm 1. Read Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is the reason we have an oak tree as our emblem. He says, turn away from the counsel, from the, from, the, from the lifestyle and all that of the wicked. And he says, you be like a tree planted by streams of water. And in that season, if you do that, if you plant yourself by streams of the water, in your season you will grow and you will yield fruit in its proper season. In, in Isaiah 61, I think it is, it talks about oaks of righteousness, that we're to grow up and be oaks of righteousness. We grow through the Word. The Word of God is the stream, is to the tree what the stream is. To us, that's the Word of God. And James says, that is able to save your souls. It's the Word of God. That's the nature of the Word of God. It saves. The Word has continuous ability to save, not only from the penalty of sin, but practically daily believer from the power of sin. This is not just something that you get saved by. The gospel is not something you get saved by and then leave it behind. No, I need the Word. Every day I need the Word. Psalm 119.11 says, hide God's Word in your heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you, Lord. Hiding God's Word in my heart prevents me from sinning, leads me away from it. The reality is is that God is actually living in me through His Word that has been implanted in me. That's Jeremiah 31. That's Ezekiel 36 fulfillment. And as I feed it, as I nourish it, the Word of God begins to grow and I become stronger and stronger and stronger as a believer. But humility. That takes humility. We come to sit under God's Word humbly. And what I challenge us with is don't come to the Word with your defenses up. Don't come to the Word thinking you already know what it says. Don't don't come to the Word not expecting to learn anything. Don't come to the Word not eager, not grateful for the privilege. There are people all over the world that would give anything to have this Bible at their disposal at any given time. Don't, Don't approach God's Word ready to tell it. Versus being told by it. Don't approach God's word doing all the talking and none of the listening. Don't, don't, don't come again telling it what it says instead of allowing it to tell you what it says. Don't bend the truth so that it says what you want it to say. Let it speak on its own and deal with it. The, the, goal, the goal is never to get around God's word. The goal is to humbly submit to God's word. The goal is to remain teachable. And so I challenge you. What, what is your attitude towards the Word? You come in here this morning, some of you may come in here starved of the Word. Some of you may come in here and just not even care. I, what's your attitude? Were you excited to get up this morning to come and hear God's Word be read publicly? Are you excited to get up and read God's Word on a daily basis? Are you eager to apply it? Do you typically just close your Bible and give no thought to what you've heard today? I don't know. Like I said, are you here listening for yourself or are you here listening for somebody else? I don't know. Humbly. James says we are to respond to the word humbly. But not only that, we're to respond to the word obediently. We're to respond to the word obediently. That's what he says in verses 22 and following. James is saying, listening to the word is to be followed with active obedience. The goal is to put it into practice in your life. And again, the power of God is in you to do that. Literally what James says there in verse 22, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers. He literally is saying, never stop being a doer of the word. That's what it would read in the Greek. Probably not that cleanly. That's the Americanized Greek. Never stop being a doer of the word. He's saying habitually submit yourself to the word. Listen, in the culture in which James writes this, they love to study just to study. They love to be knowledgeable just to be knowledgeable. There was no action intended. It was just like, hey, I'm just going to learn of that. I'm going to know it. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I'll know it. That was somewhat of the culture. They attended a lot of stuff. Did not really intend to do anything about it. I remember in seminary, it, the, it, it was a whole bunch of stuff pride, frustration, a whole bunch of nasty stuff. There were auditors in that seminary class, and, I'm, and they did no work. They showed up to class haphazardly, but then they were getting credit for it. At their respective church, they were giving them credit for it. I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting there writing a paper, those druggers are doing nothing. D- don't be an auditor. Some of us come here auditing. Just sitting in the class. Thinking we'll get credit for being here. Thinking, well, God's honored just because I showed up. You're not honored because you showed up. We don't don't need to be auditors. Don't don't think for one moment that God is pleased just because you showed up. Don't think that much of yourself. God's word demands a response. He demands a response. And listen to me, to walk away unmoved is to respond. We all, the Word either hardens or it softens, one or the other. That's the, that's the greatness of God's Word, and that's the, the tragedy to not listening. You walk away unmoved, you're hardening your heart to the Word of God. When you walk away unmoved, when we just close this book, oh, that was nice, and walk away, you're hardening your heart to God's Word. You're responding and James gives a beautiful illustration here. For anyone, if anyone, a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man would be blessed in what he does. Think about this. What's the purpose of looking in a mirror It's to do something. Like, based on what you see, you're going to take action. Isn't that? I mean, you look in the mirror expecting to see something. If what you see is not what you want to see, you do something about it. And and James is using that illustration. I mean, imagine, imagine if you looked in a mirror and there was a pimple right here, just a big old pimple right here. You do something about it. Every single person in this room would do something about it. No one would look in the mirror and like, man, that's a big old pimple. That's nice. Just walk off. Matter of fact, you wouldn't do anything else that day until you dealt with that pimple. I promise you. I mean, what if you saw, you you, you looked in the mirror and you saw that your lipstick had gone up here? You're like, oh, that's unfortunate. Let's go to work. No, you do something about it. Back in the day when I had hair and could do cool things with it, I would look in the mirror like, what does it look like? Oh, I need to do this. Now I don't have to worry about that. That's God's grace. He just removed a stronghold in my life. I don't have to spend no time. I don't worry about my hair no more. I wish I had more of it, but now I went from, from, from probably gluttony to envy. Now I'm just envious. I see people on the TV. I'm like, man, that guy has nice hair. <laughs> I wish I had hair. Karen, don't you wish your husband had nice hair like that? That'd be, that'd be cool hair. But you, you look in a mirror to do something. That, that's the point. He, 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 James is saying you would never look in a mirror and see something that required action and forget what you saw. This is a person he's painting. He's saying that like if you looked in the mirror, saw you had a pimple that needed to be dealt with, you would not, and then you imagine if you got distracted by something else and went about your day and forgot that you had looked in the mirror and saw the pimple. You would be mortified. You'd be mortified. Some of you have probably done that where you get in the car and you see, you're like, that was there all day? What in the world? You'd never do, you wouldn't do that. We, we just got through studying the book of Deuteronomy. What, do you remember what the theme of Deuteronomy was? Remember. I tried to help y'all there with do you remember. But, but, but our, our tendency, listen to me, our tendency is forget. Look what he says in Deuteronomy 6. It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of things which you did not fill cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, listen, then watch for yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The reason why we come back to this word time and time and time again is because our tendency is to forget. We need to be reminded of our sinfulness. We need to be reminded of God's grace, that Romans 5.20 where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We need reminded of who we really are, not who we think we are. We need reminded of God that God is awesome, and we are not. That salvation is His doing; it's a gift. And, and biblical remembering is to contemplate the truths of the Word of God in such a way that they make an impression on us and they affect our behavior. That's biblical remembering; it leads to action. Whether it's worship whether it's cutting something out of our life, whether it's taking on an attitude that we don't currently have, whether it's taking on a behavior that we... And again, not work salvation motivated by salvation, fueled by salvation. Every every single thing that we're called to do in here, God first did for us. We're taking it on so that we reflect the character of our Father. We are to live lives that accurately reflect The Father, that's what James is saying. That's why we come to God's Word. And that's exactly, quickly, that is where verses 26 and 27 come in. James is fighting against a religion that hears a bunch of stuff, that sits and hears and never changes the inner and outer life. It's just words. And James says it's here, and he says it in chapter 2, that that person who comes and sits and hears and walks away unmoved, he says your faith is worthless. What he means by that is it doesn't bring about the intended end or desired end, namely the character of God. Namely the character of God. And the character of God that James is going to deal with, the content of our faith, the character, the work of our faith, we said a few weeks ago, and we'll see in a few weeks, it's sacrificial mercy. The characteristic in my life and your life that most reflects the characteristic of our Heavenly Father is sacrificial mercy. And that's what James is dealing with, with widows and orphans. It's doing stuff for people who have no ability to repay. God has done for us in salvation, in paying for the penalty of our sins, He has done something for us that we have no means of repaying. He says, go do likewise. The word there is kessed. You look through the Old Testament, it's, it's translated loving kindness most of the time. The number one way God is described in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, is loving kindness, sacrificial mercy. And he's saying, no, you guys, as my children, you respond to one another and you respond to others outside of the church, you respond with sacrificial mercy. Why? Because that reflects me. And in showing compassion to widows and to orphans, Christians are reflecting the very heart of God Himself. You see it in Psalm 68.5. We could be here all day reading verses that talk about the widow and the orphan. We saw it in in Deuteronomy. Psalm 68.5, just one of the places, describing God. Listen to what it says. God will be a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. He says, I'll be a father to the fatherless and I will be a judge for the widows. In James' world, these individuals had no recourse. None. He's saying, you want to reflect the character of your father? Look out for orphans and widows. And, And in doing that, In giving sacrificial mercy, you and I, believer, will be reflecting the very thing that we received in the gospel, sacrificial mercy. God became, Jesus Christ became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It's character. It's a reflection of our Father. Sacrificial mercy. Doing others, doing for somebody what they have no means of ever repaying. I mean, think about that. What, have you done anything lately? Have I done anything lately for somebody that has no means of repaying me? It's interesting that, that, that those verses lead directly into chapter 2, giving favoritism to the rich. Why would you favor the rich? Because they have means to repay you. Because they have means to pay you back. They have means to do something. When you need a favor, hey, don't you remember that other time? when I they, It's time to pay up. That's not reflective of our Father. That's not sacrificial mercy. See, all this ties together. James is not just spitting out a bunch of random things. It's all tied together. It all goes back to the content of our faith. What do we believe about God? So I ask you again, how are you responding to the Word of God? Would would you be classified as a hearer? Or would you be classified as a doer? Do you regularly walk away from the Word of God and forget what you saw? Or do you chew on it and try to put it into practice? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of God richly dwell within you. Could you. Can you say that? Can you honestly say that the Word of God richly dwells within you? Here's the beauty Maybe you're saying no. Maybe you're saying you're not a hearer. Here's the beauty. God's grace is sufficient to start today. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Start today. Start approaching the word of God differently today. Start start hearing the word differently today. Start submitting to the word differently today. And it's not a pull up your bootstraps. Ask God to do that through you. And as you begin to put more and more of the Word in you, more and more of the Word will begin to naturally flow out of you. You'll automatically become... And that's what character is. Character flows out of you. Who you are flows out of you. That's what the Word of God does. I I pray that we would be doers and not just hearers. I, I pray that by the grace of God, by the grace of God, that we'll repent of any wrong attitudes or approaches to God's Word and we'll begin approaching God's word rightly with humility expecting to obey wanting to obey that it will be more than a than a than a scholarly exercise that it'll trans that it'll transform our lives that we'll be humbly it will be humble as we approach it but we will approach it wanting to obey